Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We belong to you. Thank you that you came and gave you life. Died to save us. And by the Holy Spirit, you live in us. Thank you for the exciting news of the new church plan. For the chance to honour Noel and Michael and the wonderful work that's gone on for so many years in craft. Holy Spirit, come, bring us to attention. Still our spirits, centre our hearts. You promised I will never leave you. You said if you make space, if we, if we seek you, as surely as the dawn, you will come. And you are here now. Make us aware. Change us. Because the Spirit of the Lord was on you, anointed you to bring us such good news, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise instead of heaviness, that we might be fruitful trees planted by the Lord for the display of His splendour. Do that among you people this morning as you have begun, so continue, Lord, in your name and for your glory alone. The church said, amen, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It's a full morning this morning, so I want to dive straight into what I have to say. Uh, but can I just first of all say I want to certainly add my tribute to honour Noel and Michael, uh, especially Noel. She told me earlier this year that this was her 20th year leading craft and she doesn't do craft. <laughs> she just felt this is where God wants me. This is what he wants me to do. Michael is... is is responsible for the, the uh, mosaic you see as you leave the Infused Cafe and leave the, our auditorium here. So uh, just want to honour that wonderful service, selfless, quiet service. I'm Graham Mabry, one of the team here, and uh, I'm delighted to be speaking to you again. It's been a while, and uh, I'm, it's, a, it's an honour to be part of this. And my welcome, too, to those who are watching online. Thank you for that. To those sitting here, thanks for coming through the rain and the dark and the less than pleasant conditions this morning to be with us. I continue this series, which we've based on the book Spiritual Rhythm by Mark Buchanan, and it very much follows on from Nick's excellent word last week on abiding. Today, we look at sustaining. That work on abiding is available online through our YouTube channel. Strongly recommend you have a look at that. So today, uh, we're looking at kind of part two. Part one was where we put down our roots. Today is about how the life of God flows through those roots and into our lives. But as well as that, I've had a clear sense this week that the Lord wants me to include this. Thanks, Michael. He wants me to include some lessons from the road. It's been quite a road for us here at Mount Pleasant. In fact, interesting, on Tuesday of this coming week, it'll be to the day, 41 years since Merle and I joined the team here. So if you keep quiet, they leave you alone for a long time. No, thank you. That was not... (laughs) 
<laughs> thank you. Well, I was really just wanting the chance to say thank you for what a wonderful journey it's been. And this, but uh, I learned about sustaining the hard way. And this story goes back about 20, maybe just a little bit more than 20 years. We had a beautiful, wonderful family in our church and a lovely girl, uh, late primary school age, probably around 10 or 11 from memory, she collapsed. She never regained consciousness. And it happened on Boxing Day, right on Christmas. I was with the family at the children's hospital and I needed to go down to feed the meter uh, and back, in the, back in the day. So I had the coins, which we used to have back in the day, and I was about to put them in the meter and I suddenly from nowhere had this, over, from the deepest part of me, an overwhelming desire to not do that, to get in the car, go and get Merle and just go. I had no idea where I wanted to go to, just what I needed to go from. Well, I was able to take a few deep breaths pray, realise this family's going through a valley that I can't begin to imagine. But I knew inside I was toast. Well, by God's mercy, he'd, he'd gone ahead and, and relatively quickly, I was diagnosed with what they called compassion fatigue. I think these days they call it secondary post-traumatic stress. But they explained to me, Graham, you're not one week tired or one month tired or one year tired, you're 20 years tired. Keith Farmer, who mentors church pastors across the country, has asked 200, well, he doesn't so much these days, but when he did, he asked 200 pastors the answer to this question and recorded it. The question was, how are you going really in the deep part of you? How are you? How are you going in your closest relationships? How are you going with God? I know you love him, but do you like him? And do you think God likes you? Uh, One to 10, where 10 is, I can't wait to get out of bed, and one is, I can't get out of bed. Where are you? Do you know the most frequent score given by pastors was 5.5? Now, almost all of them, when asked how things were going, would say, great. And if you'd asked me on Christmas Day, so how are things, Graham? I would have have honestly said, oh, they're wonderful. It's great. I'm so blessed. Uh, The the church is such a great place to be and it's healthy. I'm happy in my marriage. We've got a great family. It really is great. But as Keith pointed out, if you're saying 5.5, the water is here. (laughs) All you need is one unexpected wave, and that's what I got, one unexpected wave. I reached into my spiritual emotional bank and discovered it was empty. Now, the church, being the loving place it is, said, Graham, have some time off. But my wife, with that compelling wife logic that wives have, said, now listen, if Graham takes time off, he'll get better. But if he comes back to the same thing, he'll just get worse again. We need to change what's going on somehow. We need to discover what sustainable ministry looks like for us. Well, if ministry is not just an honest reflection of who you really are, then it's the worst sort of religious Disneyland. So really what we were saying is, what does sustainable spiritual walking with Jesus look like for me? I love the Anthony Bloom quote. He said, God can save the sinner you are, but not the saint you pretend to be. We're going to step into this thing of sustainable spiritual life through Psalm 1. It's the passage Mark Buchanan uses in the book. But before we read it, you know those beautiful old medieval illustrated manuscripts that the monks used to do by hand? If you look at one of those for Psalm 1, you'll find almost certainly it has no number. That's because they believed Psalm 1 wasn't 
Psalm 1, it was actually the introduction to the whole book, the whole 149 other Psalms. And modern scholars like Kevin Walkley, he agrees. He says, yeah, it's an introduction to all of the Psalms. Peterson, I love his treatment. He says, this book of songs and prayers, we don't begin by praying. We begin by coming to attention. We begin by coming to attention. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit will come, that lovely prayer, come Holy Spirit, and bring us to attention. I'm sure you're not sitting on the edge of compassion fatigue. Well, not most of you. But I feel many of you might well be far more drained than you think. Far more. And a process is going on. And God wants you sustained. So Holy Spirit, come. Bring us to attention. Search our hearts. Show us your way. See if this resonates with you. When I was in this situation, I wasn't sinning any more than usual. All right? I mean, I want to commend Nick uh, last week for his courage in talking about the fact, uh, and I want to affirm what he said, that pastors are not exempt from all of the temptations that you face. I also want to add, add age does not exempt you either. But I wasn't sinning any more than usual. I didn't have some unconfessed big sin somewhere tucked away. Secondly, I was in the right place. I was where God wanted me. I believed it. Merle believed it. The leaders around us believed it. And thirdly, God, had, God wanted to sustain me. But I wasn't sustained. I was drained. What about you? Here's the most, here's the most challenging bit for me. This process had gone on for 20 years and I didn't realise. Little by little, just draining away. And I didn't realise it. And there are forces that, are, that will make sure they are intent on you not finding out that this quiet process is rolling on. So as we read Psalm 1 together, would you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit after I've had a drink? Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Yeah, amen. Trish, I agree. So there are two ways. The way of the righteous, you can see it on the screen there. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But both ways seek the same thing. And David, in the first verse of the first psalm of the whole 150, with a laser-like aim, hits that very thing that both ways want, blessed. They want to be blessed. The Hebrew word is asher, and the Greek word is makarios. Makar in Greek is happy. It's the people who are to be envied, the people who are happy. And that Greek word in the Hebrew, sorry, that Hebrew word has the sense of an interjection. It's like that guy there. That you're checking out a person or a group of people and you're going, check that out. Now that is the good life. 
So it's that sense of looking and seeing this person is. They're stable, they're peaceful, they're prosperous, they're under God's favour. That's the good life. What about the wicked? Well, it ends in destruction. When our postmodern ears hear the wicked, then we kind of think, well, that's a me. If I hear wicked, I think of some terribly heinous sinner, like a mass murderer or someone who organises a genocide. But actually the Hebrew word is quite different. It's, it's talking about a way, not the most spectacular example of that way. And, and I, I found a phrase from a scholar of Hebrew that I think is brilliant. That means because I agree with him. See. But I think it's brilliant because it actually says what this word wicked here means. It's people whose life is shaped by their inclinations. People who shape their lives by what they want, what they think, what they consider. It's like Judges 17. People did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Their decision is ultimate. They decide. In Romans 16, it kind of says the same thing. These people, they don't serve our Lord Christ. They serve their appetites. You're steering the bus. At the end of the day, you may even consult God from time to time, but the ultimate decision is yours. It's what you think. There's an interesting little, uh, very, very, I think, really a neat little device in verse 1 that shows us that whichever way you follow, that's where your roots will go down. Have a look at this. It says, first of all, we walk. We walk with, in step with the wicked. We walk in step. Then we stand in the way. And then eventually... We sit at the table. We actually become part of that. Our roots go down. That's where our centre is. How do the two ways end? Well, as you heard when we read the psalm together, diametrically opposite endings for the two ways and we're given powerful metaphors for both. Now, that is the tree that Nick showed us last week in that wonderful word on abiding, the tree down by the river that he walks past with Margie. And it's a, it's a symbol of fruitful, stable, peaceful fulfilment, sustained. The other chaff that the wind blows away. In the ancient form of winnowing to get the, to the, to get the wheat, they, as you know, they pick up the wheat and the chaff and they fling it up into the air and the chaff simply blows away. Why does it blow away? Because it's an empty husk. It's a great symbol of dry dusty, windblown impermanence. And chaff is a significant metaphor because chaff has no capacity to sustain. That disappears when the seed falls to the ground. The stuff that blows away in the wind has no capacity to sustain. So when we look to it to sustain us, we are asking it to do what it simply cannot do. I've told you once before, about 15 months ago, about a wonderful image from Theophan. He's a, an Orthodox church father from the 19th century. It's worth having a look at it again, though. And it's this one. Theophan says, most people are like a shaving of wood which is curled around its central emptiness. Nick spoke to us last week about a lot of the things we look to to fill that emptiness that, that don't work, habits and foods and substances and so on. I found one this week, a shopaholic. Now, I've joked about shopaholics, but they actually exist. 
and they seek treatment. And this, I read the story of a young woman who is a recovered shopping addict. And she actually said, there was a sentence in her story and I thought, now that's exactly it. She said this, I got a job, with a, uh, I got a job that brought a company credit card with it. She, I had just had my second car repossessed. I had debts everywhere. But then she says this, I didn't care about my debt collectors. I now had a company credit card and I could look worthy on the outside since I didn't feel it inside. The United Kingdom Society for Public Health did a major survey of young people and social networks and their finding was this, the more social networks a young adult uses, and usually it's for that, filling that in a need, the more they use, the more likely they are to report depression and anxiety. A really successful social influencer in LA, just named as Brandon, in that same uh, report said this, no, sorry, in another report said this, the scary thing is you never know how long this is going to last and I think that's what eats us at night. How long before no one cares and what if your life is worth nothing? Halsey, the singer-songwriter, said this, I often find there's a deep sadness inside me that no amount of worldly pleasure can touch I wonder often, did I choose the wrong life for myself? And finally, Chelsea Christ, she had the skill to, be a, to do a law degree and an MBA simultaneously. She was an Emmy Award, winnered, uh, Emmy Award nominated television presenter. She was Miss USA and she tragically ended her life. Just before she did, she wrote this, why work so hard to capture the dreams I've been taught by society to want when I continue to find only emptiness. But finally, you know, the one that knocked me out this week, I found someone who agrees with Theophan, a much more modern source. I don't think you would guess it if I gave you all week. Have a look at this. The irony of life is that we often pursue things we think will make us happy and fulfilled only to find they've left us emptier and more anxious once we attain them. The Harvard Business Review. Wow, chaff can't sustain. But how much of that chaff was clogging my life? Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I want to move in your life. This stuff can't sustain you. See, God never said to me, and he'll never say to you, these things are evil, avoid them, because they're not in themselves. What he wanted was to save me from chasing things that can't sustain me. So if I did my version of Matthew 6, he'd be going clothes, food, stuff. Your heavenly father knows you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you beside. See, I knew only God, and let me say this to you this morning, only God is wise enough to know what you should have. And only God is powerful enough to save you from the things that have you. So how do we get his life sustaining us? How, do we, how does that happen? Well, I used to read that, you know, that blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates in that law day and night. And so I'd be, all right, I've got to delight more. I've got to meditate more. I've read the Bible in a year. I'm going to read the Bible in six months in five parallel translations. And it would result in on again, off again, guilt and duty driven, not very helpful stuff. 
because I wasn't asking the right question and maybe you're not. You can't start with the end result. Delight and meditation is what results. The question is why? And the best answer is a baby. Best answer is a baby. See, when you hold a baby, whether it's your child, your grandchild, someone who you love and know and love, they hand you this beautiful little child, what do you do? So long as they haven't filled their nappy. You delight, right? If they fill their nappy, you delight in handing them back. But by and large, you delight, don't you? And what do you do once you start delighting? You start verbalising. I have seen sombre senior judges handed a baby going, (laughs) how would that go in the courtroom on Monday? How would that be? They transform us. They are absolutely, see, we vocalise because we've got to express that delight in some way and that's what the psalm is saying. Thanks, Michael. See, the, the, the psalm is actually, the word delight, let's start there. It's the Hebrew word, hyphets, and it means, well, it means delight. <laughs> it just means delight. The thing that I value so highly that to have it gladdens my heart. What is meditate? Many of you will know this. The, the Hebrew again is hagar, and it means to literally to mutter. And the word comes from the sounds that pigeons make when they've got back to the nest, or the sound that a bear makes when it's finally caught some prey and it's eating, maybe it's starving. Uh, that sort of, or what you make when you get a really favourite dish. Wow, oh, this is so good. That's it. That's what this meditate means. And there's a beautiful infinity loop that's tied up in it. See, the more I delight, the more I meditate, mutter. And the more I meditate, the more I delight. One of the first things I discovered on this journey, by the way, 20 years ago, was if I got regular quality time with Merle, I was pretty much the energizer bunny. But if I didn't, if we were just in the same house, but it wasn't regular quality time, I got grumpy real quick. So, and let me say to all those, if you're single, married, if you're married, of course you're married, but no matter, the quality relationships closest to you, they are a vital part of sustaining, a God-given gift. So if 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 Merle had that capacity, how much more vital is my relationship to my Father in heaven? How much more vital? But do you know the last thing that was going into my diary was his time. And the first thing that got taken out was his time. Is the Holy Spirit bringing you to attention? I've resisted giving you a list of things that, uh, you know, work as, this is how you are sustained. There is a list. It's easy to make one up, but but we're so diverse. One of the things is rest. I discovered the importance of rest. But then I look around at you wonderful young parents And I remember having twins at two. Two is not an age, it's a disease. And when they were that age, I called them the Dipsy Doodle Demolition Duo. But God had a way for us resting then, and he has a way for you now, and he'll show you that way, and I'll leave that to him. But there is one thing. We are all sustained, no matter how diverse we are, from the same source. Theophan saw a central emptiness in most people. But do you remember Jesus' promise? Whoever believes in me 
Rivers of living water will flow from their innermost being, not an emptiness. And whenever we're going to the chaff, we're going to the stuff that can't sustain us. But he's given us the spirit from our deepest. That's where transformation begins. It isn't sprayed on from the outside. It comes from the inside out. And at that deepest level, the spirit of God takes the word of God and turns it into this amazing heart scanner. The spirit of God suddenly starts discerning my thoughts and my motives. I'll be thinking of something and I'll hear this, almost hear this little voice go, uh, do you want to know what I think of it? You think, no, <laughs> no, I don't, but I need to. Search me, God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. This approach is scripture from a slightly different point of view. Now, scripture is a text to be read and carefully studied. I do a lot of that. But what we can stop there. So we read a verse like, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. And we think, great metaphor. We study how it fits. What does it mean? But, but it's not being a lamp to us yet. Because scripture is a living word, we can trust the promise of Isaiah. Wherever you turn to the right or the left, whenever I'm wandering back to my inclinations, I will hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk this way. Jesus was categorical. My sheep will hear my voice. Are you hearing him? Are you making time to hear him? However, he shows you to do that. A.W. Tozer said, the Bible's not only a book which was once spoken, it's a book which is now speaking. You know, we're about to have communion and uh, how easily it becomes anything but communion, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, communion is you're already reaching for your little thingos. Oh, did I get one when I came in? Was I? And, and, it's, and, and we have to do this to be, to be loving and, and responsible post-COVID. We've got to have those things. But what a nightmare. You've got to peel off the little, and if it's your first time, you peel off the little transparent thing on top. Then you've got the wafer there. Now you've got to get the one that opens up the drink and it won't open and it won't open. So you give it a decent tug and now I've thrown juice all over Merle and I've lost my wafer. Let's get around that problem by giving you a chance to do all that now. Can you get the communion elements ready? Just do that. Thanks, and Janelle, if you could come, that'd be great, awesome. Ah, you're gonna do it, Joel. All right, thank you, mate. Somebody I needed. Okay, just, and it is, and if you don't have the elements and you would like them, because it's not for everybody. It's if, this is for anyone for whom Jesus is Lord. And sometimes if the Spirit is calling, it's a way that you can make him Lord and, and take that step into sustenance. Okay, if you have those ready, can you just look at the screens again? Because God has given us the gift of free will. And because he has, he will never remove it. That gift of free will will not be removed. Thanks, Michael. Let's look at that quote. In Michael Buchanan's book, he quotes a modern poet, David White, and one of the lines of his poem is this, we are the one terrible part of creation privileged to refuse our flowering. You don't have to be sustained. You can choose to just settle back into the way everybody goes. That's always your choice. You gotta have free will or you can't have love. But there's a beautiful alternative. 
In the first verse of the psalm, it says, the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. You can do that. But here's this lovely alternative. Thanks, mate. Paul says to the Galatians, since we live by the Spirit, let's not keep in step with that lot. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus is here now. He's, he promised He would be. See, He is here now by the Holy Spirit. I will never leave you. I am with you always, wherever two or three of you gather in my name. I love Richard Rohr's quote. We're already totally in the presence of God. What we lack is awareness. Every silent retreat at New Norcia, and we've got one coming up in September. Be beautiful up there with the spring flowers. But every retreat, we just make space and we trust that promise as surely as the dawn I will come. And he does in an amazing variety of ways. So as we enter communion, let's pray, come Holy Spirit. Maybe he is showing you there's a lot of chaff and he's calling you to the one that can, the only one who can sustain you, your Father. Maybe it's John the Baptist's words that matter for you today. There stands among you one who you don't recognise. Recognise him this morning. You may hear him say to you this morning, my body was given for you. My blood, the new covenant, shed for the remission of your sin. You are forgiven. You notice there's geese on the thing. The Holy Spirit may come in this communion as a dove, but he may also come as the, the, what the Celtic Christians used to call him, the wild goose. Went right back to the time when the Gallic Celts wanted to attack Rome, but they were foiled by the geese that woke the Roman soldiers. And the Celtic believers in the British Isles back in those hundreds of years ago, they experienced the Holy Spirit as the wind of God blowing wherever it wants to, shaking the status quo, wrestling us out of the ways, the sedentary ways, injecting the fire of God's love, leading us into new adventures with Him. So in a few moments of communion, forget who's here, who's not, what's going on, Take the elements when it seems right for you. But listen, listen. What about if the first thing in your diary was his time, whenever that's possible, however he wants you to do that. I was walking along with the river with Merle, said to her this week, what sustains you? And she said to me, oh, thanking my father for his grace to me. But that's not me. And I see what that's doing in her. So powerful and so real. But he's doing something else in me. And he's something unique for you. But you need to see. You need to let the Holy Spirit blow away the husks. Don't tell him what you're going to do. Peter tried that with a sword. In the, it didn't work. Let him tell you what he's going to lead you into. Because he loves you enough to die and rise for you. Let's commune together.
I reckon Joel and uh, Janelle will be smart enough to be able to do this. I think it's in G, buddy. But you remember that song, He is Lord? I just think he wants us to make him Lord, Lord of our diaries, Lord of our marriages. You, you don't want to, there's a big difference between a 20 year marriage and one year of marriage 20 times over. But he's Lord. You may be facing a situation financially or physically. He's Lord. He's Lord. God has given him the name which is above every name. Sustaining that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of your Father in heaven. So church, let's declare it into the spiritual realm. He is Lord. Let's sing it together. He and every knee shall bow. Every tongue. To the principalities and powers, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's stand, church. Declare that. You're my Lord. You're my Lord. Every knee, every knee. started this series, we sang a hymn that Nick, our senior pastor, said, I think this is my favourite hymn. We're going to sing it again. And my prayer is, Holy Spirit, write this into our lives this week when we leave. He is the only one who can sustain. So my vision is you, not just my Lord, but my vision, Lord of my life, the great heart of my own heart. So I don't heed riches or man's praise. He is our inheritance. Let's sing that together. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.